10 years. Roger, the founder and CEO of Puffco, you're celebrating 10 years. What's that feel like, man? That seems like a, a pretty important monumental number. Yeah, you know, 10 years was, I think, beyond expectation, right? Uh, when we started in this space, I mean, the whole world was very different 10 years ago. The internet was different. Cannabis was different. You know, it concentrates were a thing, but in their you know, contemporary apps, was in its incipient stages. So, um, you know, after 10 years, it really feels like winning the lotto. You know, we, we work on our dreams every day and we focus on something that not only we love, but that directly impacts our experience. You know, most Papa employees are daily dabbers and half choosers. So uh, 10 years feels very lucky and it feels like an honor to still be here for sure. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, gosh, when I think of 2013, holy cow, that that really does feel like yeah. a while ago. Um, so what, what have you noticed as far as like, obviously there's been a lot of change, but, uh, you know, as far as like the consumer's taste, um, you know, from 2013 to now, like what kind of trends are you, are you noticing? Oh man. I mean, you know, in the last 10 years, I, I think the most exciting part of contemporary hatch uh -huh. is the constant evolution, right? So like year one, I start in the cannabis space and like the only thing we know concentrates as except for you know traditional ash yeah is what we we're calling wax which you know we then learned was bho um but that's where i started that's year one year two live resin becomes a thing now they're freezing the flour before they process it then the next year distillate became a thing distillate was not popular at all and it just hit the scene and then the next year after that flour rosin happens and the year after that hash rosin happens in this whole time while all that is going on we see the way people consume and the devices they use constantly evolve to focus on flavor uh to focus on vapor then we hit this pivotal moment where people discover that low temp dabbing is a thing and no longer do you just have to torch until something is red and then cough for an hour and go through all this this process now it's easier to do and you're finding that you're getting way more flavor and your high is not intense anymore it's actually more pleasurable and so the past 10 years i could probably spend an hour on talking about how every single year there is a leap and this is still happening today i recently covered a new form of contemporary hash called piatella and this had existed in spain for the past few years but here I go and I discover it as it was an individual the first time I saw it. Yeah. And I go and I highlight it. And now this is a wave taking over the world. I'm going to Colombia and meeting a bunch of hash makers and they're all pulling out Piatella. And it's all based on this recent information that it's a desirable thing. So, you know, specifically the story of cannabis and uh, hash yeah. as it relates to hash, it's it's constantly grown. It to me is the fastest growing innovative area of cannabis it's also the fastest growing in terms of community but to be in the contemporary hash space and just to exist in a space that is constantly evolving it's constantly getting better 
And it always feels that the future is more promising than today. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, we're a tech magazine, but it feels like there is, uh, you know, technology and concentrates or, you know, uh, concentrates and science. They're linked at the hip. Like this is, this is not one or the other, man. This is, let's go. We're cowabunga. Uh, it is absolutely a hundred percent a lot of science. And you're seeing, I mean, the technological advancements that we're seeing specifically in the hash space yeah. from all angles. Yeah. It, you know, it obviously starts with the grower, right? But as soon as the grower hits a wall, yes, it turns to genetics mm-hmm. and he needs, or she needs genetics that will actually produce better trichomes that can separate easier from the plant that will make better hash. And then as that better hash is made, there are people that are smoking it that are like, well, this is amazing. Can this taste better? And then they'll work on new devices to get more flavor out of it. And you have in every single area from the grower trying to make the plant to the hash maker trying to extract it to the geneticists trying to breed something yeah. that will make it easier for all of them to the either uh, glass blower or pipe maker trying to make a little device that will actually make it better to consume. Yeah. And so if you're a fan of technology, hash will really scratch that itch. You're going to see something that is constantly evolving and never become stale. You know, that's a really good point. And I'm, and I'm curious, and I think we've talked about this before, but what do you wish that people knew or understood about concentrates that maybe they don't? So there's, there's a lot of uh, pre-existing perception about concentrates. Right. And I don't think a lot of it is positive, right? If we look at... Uh, traditional hash. Traditional yeah. hash has been vilified across the world. Even though you can go to almost any place in the world and find it, yeah, it has been extremely vilified, and people have seen it close to like uh, other drugs that are actually super addictive and hard, like heroin, yeah, and, and the like. Opium, um, opium, exactly. Yeah. So like, there's that stigma that comes from the old world, but then contemporary hash really hit the scene in the early 2010s, which is what Pupko was born out of. And those days were filled with lots of videos of people taking these really big rips on red hot nails, coughing their brains out, some of them passing out. And that made people, it, it only reinforced this perspective that concentrates are extremely strong yeah. and they're for people looking to get blasted, not just a little bit high, not for medicine. You're using it to get absolutely wrecked. And that's just not where it is today. You know, where it started yeah. was that. I think a lot of us fell in love with concentrates because we were able to get a more intense high than we were from flour. But over time, with the introduction of low-temp dabbing, I found that I actually turned to concentrates fully in 2015. Uh-huh. It was an era where we were calling flour pre-run, meaning something that had not yet been turned into hatch. And the reason I loved it was not for its potency, but actually for the control I got over my high. If I take a low temp dab, yeah. the onset of effects comes faster and it goes away faster. And when it goes away, it's leaving me with a less residual stoniness yeah. uh, or being or being burned out. Yeah. And so for the people that think that concentrates are this really intense thing for super users, it's really for people that want better control over their highs, specifically those that are using during the day. Yeah. If you're smoking at night, that's fine. But if you need to smoke midday and recover and do your job or have conversations and be responsible, I think it's most effective for that. 
if you're looking for the nuance and flavor of the plant, yeah. it is no better represented anywhere than it is in contemporary ash. And so the number one thing I want people to know is, yes, you can turn to concentrates for intensity, but more and more these days, people are turning to it for flavor and control over how high they can get. Um, so I, I wish more people knew that and just didn't see it as this crazy super user thing that sometimes it has the perception of being. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what exactly is the low temp dab? So a low temp dab, when, when everyone started dabbing, uh-huh. uh, we, we weren't using something called a carb cap. And what a carb cap does is it just controls the amount of air flowing through the oil that you're vaporizing. Previously, it was a big open hole, so yeah. a lot of air going in. And if you wanted to vaporize it, you have to go at extremely high temperatures. With the invention of the carb cap, it focused the air in a way that you could vaporize it at a much lower temperature while still getting the same vapor as what was effectively burning your oil before. And that led to flavors previously unattainable. It yeah. led to a high that was previously unattainable. So you could smoke and not sit there and recover for 5, 10, 15 minutes and then be blasted for the rest of the day. You could smoke a little bit and then come back in an hour Damn near sober and say, hey, I yeah. left some more. And I think for some people, like, well, wait a minute. I am not trying to smoke every hour. Cool. Go in at a higher temperature and you won't need any more. But if you want to be fine in an hour, yeah, this is what you should be turning to. I never smoke flour during the day anymore. Um, it's strictly a nighttime thing because I can't function. Yeah. But I can with concentrate. So, like, that's, that's the really big distinction for me of what low temp dabbing did is it gave us control over our experience but before that dabs were strictly extremely high intensity that flipped it on its head yeah it was like a cannonball you were all in it was it was yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um one of the things that i've noticed too is is you're starting to see more uh proliferation of um products that contain live rosin you're starting to see things like edibles and stuff now that are like hey these are for you know during the day um you know some some gummy companies are coming in and they're really like just you know they're, they're just uh like a dialed in gummies and these you know they're really popular and they're starting to combine these different cannabinoids and terpenes and things like that to give people experiences where you're right sure. it's not necessarily just to get wrecked uh people are buying things for different you know maybe more uplifting with this combination or maybe sure. more you know sleepy time where they're mixing you know that and i think that's i think that's cool i think that's a cool evolution where it's not just you know remember the old days it was indica sativa uh you know sure, or totally. or yeah or it was like you know uh down in florida it was like mids regs you know what i mean like we sure, we have evolved totally. we have evolved into yeah. where now you, you, oh there's cbn in this or oh there's cbg i could totally. i could go work out i think that's a pretty cool evolution you know too in in the consumers and the marketing and kind of the whole industry yeah it really speaks to the innovative nature of concentrates. You know, yeah. I am not a fan of, of distillate. Uh-huh. Um, distillate is a single cannabinoid. It's just THC. Yeah. Um, I am a fan of full spectrum. I want all the cannabinoids I can get from the plant. It gives me the experience I want. It gives me the feeling that I want. And these pre-fills that are considered to be in this uh, niche of concentrates, um, they were almost exclusively distillate early on. Mm-hmm. And what you find is that concentrate users are much more informed than cannabis users. So as they started using it, they were like, well, this is cool, 
but it's not getting me as high as I want to be. How can this become better? So the half makers with their innovative nature come in and say, well, can we turn rosin yeah. into working in the same way as distillate does, but giving people that full spectrum experience? And so you see that and that that evolution isn't over. You know, some people are still trying to innovate in that pre-fill space, but we will see is if they enjoy live rosin. And they're like, this is cool, but I'm looking for even more control. I'm looking to determine what I, what live rosin I consume. They'll just start dabbing and falling into that world. But even speaking on that pre-fill and that journey, yeah. everywhere where you see concentrates, you will see that today we are more evolved. We're using better products. We're having a better consumption experience than we were years ago. And I don't think the same can be said for flour. Also, as it relates to hash and it being in all these edibles yeah hash is really great for scale if you're in a place like colorado it's extremely dry but incredible manufacturers of cannabis you'll find that a lot of the flour in their market is really dry mm. it's hard to get something that's fantastic yeah but a really dry market is actually quite good for hash it keeps the trichomes fresh it's easier to separate mm. and it makes it so you can scale and with the best of the plant without offering somebody something that's going to turn to dust and not taste very good. In fact, they got ripped off. Um, hash is becoming the scaling solution for the space. And it's no surprise that we're seeing it more and more in edibles as well. Yeah. And then for another category that's pretty big and pretty hot, you know, pre-rolls, um, now the big thing mm. is they've got to be infused, right? If they're not infused, then they're, they're so last year, man. They're so 2000 and late, right? You got to have them infused now. So that is becoming the jam. And what are they infusing them with? Concentrates, yeah. right? There's, yep, with rosin, with Pietella now. Yeah. That's a new thing. So like last year was the hash hole. This year we're starting to, starting to see the Pietella joint. Um, and that's the story. I, I can't impose it enough on yeah. your readers. If you are excited about cannabis, you need to pay attention to hash. Yeah. Even if you're not interested, even if you're like, I'm just going to smoke my bowl every day and yeah. never need anything else. Cool. But if you're interested in both cannabis and technology, you are going to see that everywhere there is an advancement, contemporary hash is pushing it forward. And we've even seen that in joints, you know, and I think we can keep <laughs> listing stuff, you know, just yeah. end when yeah. it comes to concentrates. Dude, concentrates are taking over, man. I love it. It is, they're really establishing their, uh, listen, that they've, they've got to be there. Um, and, and they've got to be a part of it. And I think that's cool. And I think people are demanding it. And I think the more that we educate and, you know, kind of open their, their eyes to it, then, uh, you know, that's, that's the better. How would you like to see concentrates evolve? Is there anything you'd like to see kind of as, you know, obviously it keeps evolving. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to, it, you know, what I love, what I love about contemporary hash, yeah. um, which is specifically what you're dabbing in the concentrate niche, right? Mm -hmm. It just really excludes like prefills and uh, distillate and stuff like that. What I love about it is that it, it's an innovation vehicle and you don't know where innovation is going to take you, right? We never know what the future is going to be. Is it going to be flying cars? Is it going to be AI? Like we can guess, we can hope, but we never know what's actually going to happen. Yeah. And I found the best relationship that I can have with it is not expectation, but curiosity. Right. Mm. I don't go into Barcelona saying, Hey, what are you guys doing? You better be making the best rosin ever. Yeah. I come in there saying, what have you guys been working on? You're in a silo. 
where you have this American influence here on what we like to consume, but you have your own community here that has its own needs that aren't obvious to others. What is bubbled up here that hasn't anywhere else? And that's how I approach it. So I don't have a lot of expectations of hacks, except that we're future forward always. That yeah. We're trying to push the limits of what we thought was possible. They were finding new nuance. They were finding ways to have less of what doesn't work for us and more of what does. Whether that be flavor or the high it gets you or the intensity that it gets you. Um, I have no expectations, only curiosity for what the future will bring because I've been surprised. Yeah. Year over year. It's just, you know, 2000, I think 16, when rosin started becoming popular, people were making fun of it. They're like, oh, this flavorless, you know, heat press extract. That's crazy. And these days, they're like, oh my God, BHO, how can we keep smoking that? Like, rosin <laughs> is clearly the clean solution. So I think wherever you place your bets on where uh, contemporary hash will grow, you'll probably be wrong, but you won't be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. Uh, so how are you seeing, you talked about your vape pen, uh, you know, earlier was kind of like liberating, you know, in your earlier days, you know, having that vape yeah. pen and being able to do it. And, uh, you know, in New York right now, how are you seeing the, uh, the cannabis culture shift, you know, since the state legalized? I mean, <laughs> New York is truly a free for all. I've, um, you know, when I first started, uh, my love for these wax pens, as we call them back in the day, uh -huh. was directly linked to my P my uh, PTSD from being arrested. I had yeah. a, a crippling fear of police, of ending up back in the system. I've never been to prison yeah. for cannabis, but I've been jailed. I think I, I was facing one to three years uh, at one point for having an ounce of flour and seven grams of hash. Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a ton. Um, and this wax pen gave me the freedom to fear less and that was just so huge back then these days and it's not the environment in new york in new york every single bodega is selling flour they're shutting some of them down some of them they're not yeah most importantly new yorkers are free to consume in public yeah. anywhere where cigarettes are allowed now wow. which is anywhere outside that is not a public park and so New York has flipped from what felt like an extremely conservative market when you compare it to Colorado or California. Yeah. People are stigmatized by it. They would be annoyed by it and even potentially go to the police and say, hey, somebody over there is smoking. And these days, everyone is consuming. Nobody's stigmatized by it. You don't get funny looks. People feel safe. It, it feels like not even the New York I grew up in, but the New York just before I grew up that had these images of block parties and yeah. people uh, joining together on the streets and hanging out and sitting on their stoops and just engaging with the community. That is the vibe of New York. And I believe it's because it has the only non-classist laws in the country. People don't need to be a property owner to consume in New York. So where I started in New York, was fearing for my freedom and eventually having to leave to California based on that fear. Where it is today is one of the safest, if not the safest consumption market in the country. Yeah. 
God, that's so crazy when you think about it because, you know, I've been arrested for weed. I'm sure a lot of us have, you know, and yeah. now and now we look back on it and we're like, man, you know, you were always worried. You were always afraid if you were carrying. You were always afraid, you know, if you had something in your car and you sure. saw that and you saw those lights behind you and you were just like, oh, my God. Now I'm kind of like, yeah, I just left the dispensary. What's up? You know what I mean? It's all... You could smoke it from a cop in New York. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, it was one of the first things I did as soon as they said it, it's allowed. Yeah. One of the first things I did was like grab my my proxy yeah and load it up and make sure that i was walking past cops while smoking it because that's something i never got to experience and you know i think even in just a few years or maybe already today bill bag oh my god who cares dude they're not here to bother anyone i care yeah because every time i saw them i would be shaken and sometimes i get shaken so hard that the rest of my day is affected just from having a cop look at you funny and yeah. like, oh my god are they going to stop me? Are they yeah. going to search me? Are they going to find something? Am I spending three days in jail? Am I going to end up in Rikers Island? Yeah. Um, those are all the fears you have of just being somebody smoking a joint in the city and not much else. So this is something that I still deeply appreciate. It's not old to me yet. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been so familiar with safety that I've stopped appreciating it. And um, I hope one day I do. I hope one day that it's that safe. And I'm like, God, who cares? They're not here to bother anyone. But I'm still like, oh my God, I can't believe I get to do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. By the way, nice product placement with the proxy, right? I like that. Let's talk. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, let's talk tech. You know what I mean? Like you, you make products that are, they're sleek, they're uh, user-friendly, they just, they feel good in your hands. You know what I mean? Like, can you talk a little bit to the audience about, you know, sort of what goes into the products that Puffco makes and what makes you so, I don't know, like, I feel like you're a very tech forward company. Like, I feel like there's a few sure. in the cannabis space that almost, you know, it's almost like an Apple or a Tesla or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, can you speak to that just a little bit? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, you know, where we started... Uh, early on in my career, I had, I'm not an engineer. I'm not mm -hmm. a designer. I don't have a history in making products. This is all very new to me. Yeah. Um, I tried hiring a few engineers early on and it's about like, I would give them my ideas and I would never see anything that truly reflected it. And that changed when I hired our first lead engineer, Bajpai. He's currently our chief technology officer. Um, he started the company with uh, one junior engineer. And today we have, I believe, around 20, maybe more than 20, when you consider out of the country, wow. people in our product department. Um, that's mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, software designers, industrial designers. Um, and now we have a crazy process for designing products that has a lot of thought. But really where it all starts is with the experience. The feeling you get from the dab is priority number one. Everything else comes down to how do you want it to look? How do you want users to engage in it? Um, what stigmas are we trying to dissolve through yeah. design? But nothing is more important to Puffco than the experience you get when you engage with contemporary hash. And you can see that through the evolution of what I'll call to your user, to your readers, our engine. Yeah. which is our atomizers, where our chamber, they're constantly evolving. It's almost every year or every two years we're coming out with a new technology that can vaporize your hash better. They can make it so all the work the growers and the hash makers and the geneticists put in to make a better product, but it can really, really highlight that. And one of the biggest leaps that we made was with our 3D chamber, where we effectively 
completely changed how hash oil was being heated, where previously it was heated from the bottom. That's just how everybody knew to do it. Yeah. And we said, we don't want to heat from the bottom anymore. We want to heat from the sides. We don't want heat where the oil is static. We want heat where the oil goes when you inhale. Mm. And so we completely rethought how should oil be vaporized and made sure that it's something that would give people the feeling that, oh my God, this is a level up from where I was before. And once we did that, we didn't stop our chase. We thought, how can we make this even better? Some people are saying that they want even more intensity. So we'll go and we'll play with firmware to start. Can we give you more intensity by just playing with the software and nothing else? And we did that and rolled out vapor control. And some people were like, this is great, but what more can you do? So we just released our 3D XL, which people are saying is giving them the same effect as a torch dab, which is can be extremely intense for people. Yeah. And so we came out with that. And I can't speak to what we're working on for the future, but every criticism we get of what we're not, whether it comes from within Pupco or outside of Pupco, yeah. we take it very seriously and we get to work. Um, and that's typically our approach. We start with experience, and I can't reiterate enough that what we design impacts us more than anyone else. We are using our products every day. Most Pupco employees are Pupco super users. So when we find a way to make our experience better, it's exciting. We don't think about the money we can make or the markets we can reach. We think about the level of experience that people are increasing. And hopefully that translates to more revenue and more users. Yeah. And by the way, you said that, uh, I think you said in, a, in an interview that you constantly push your employees for negative feedback. Like, uh, how does that, oh, yeah. yeah, how does that process kind of humble you as a leader while also pushing you to improve? Um, you know, I, I had an unhealthy perspective of, of this to start. Um, uh-huh. I think when, when I first started Pupco, uh, and I'm still very ambitious, but I was supremely ambitious. I had really big dreams and I would chase them and, when you're really ambitious, you can be blinded by not listen to the feedback around you. So the first thing I did was the raw thing. I didn't listen to the people around me. And then you go through a few mistakes that people kind of hit you with the I told you so energy. You start realizing mm. I need to be more open to feedback. And once that really kicked in for me and I realized that I can't grow unless people are telling me where I need to improve, I actually went in the complete opposite direction and sort of telling people, I want no positive feedback. Miss me with it. I don't need to know where I'm doing well. I need to know where I can improve. And then I realized that that's not great for everyone because there's a lot of people that will lie on positive feedback. And even though my relationship is that it's not useful to me, I have to find a way to incorporate it. And yeah. the perspective that I'm left with today is that if you're somebody who's looking to grow, you can only grow from feedback that is pointing out where you could be doing better. People telling you, you know, you're doing great. Oh my God, you look so good. And you know, like that outfit looks great on you. That's not going to push you to get into the gym. Somebody like taking a picture of you and you seeing it and you're like, oh my God, I do not like the way I look here. I need to change this, whether it's through diet or fitness or whatever else. To me, I call that pain, the soil that we grow from. And there's a lot of nuance to it. To get negative feedback from people, you have to make them feel extremely safe. You can't get the truth from someone that is afraid they will take it poorly. So you have to create an environment where people are really encouraged to be honest with you yeah. and feel that they're rewarded for it. They see that you're growing in their direction. They don't feel like 
you know, I told him this and I think I just made him feel bad about things. It's like, I told him this and oh my God, he's so much better. I really need to communicate with him more. And that's how it is throughout our company. We have a company full of people that think like this. They yeah. want candor. They want transparency from your team. They don't want people to be frustrated and hold their tongue. Yeah. They want people to voice their frustrations and make sure we can grow beyond them. So um, for me, it stung at first I yeah. think when I had the realization that I wasn't listening to my peers and that was having a negative impact. That stung and yeah. it really hurt. And that flung me in the other direction. That was the soil that I grew from. So it's not so bad. It, it, it hurts probably just like going to the gym and looking yeah. for the first time or jumping on the treadmill. You're like, oh my God, I can't do this. This is so painful. And then you go home and you recover and you're like, I could probably do this. This is not so bad. Yeah. Um, and that's been my journey with growth and, and negative feedback. Yeah. And I bet you it contributes a lot to your culture. There at Puffco, you know, yeah, and and I, I'm I'm assuming that you would say culture is pretty damn important. Absolutely, I mean, environment is so important, yeah. right? In, in a proper environment, life will fear, uh, will flourish, and in the wrong environment, it's a life killer. So, uh, yeah, at Puffco, culture isn't just important because we want to be attractive to new employees and be a fun place to work. We want to foster growth. We want to foster innovation. We want people to feel like they're their authentic selves yeah um and and that's something only environment can bring out of people and we all contribute to it you know this isn't me creating the culture if anything i would say this, this culture that was created turned me into a growth focused person and i wanted to make sure to keep feeding that so everybody had the opportunity to grow but um puffco culture is one i feel really created itself with our team members being encouraged to push and prod and try to make everything around them better. That's that's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's a good thing. Thank you. And it's and it's not easy to have, you know, good good environment, sure. good culture. So, um, well, just a couple more questions for you. Um, yeah, this sure. is this is our concentrates and compliance issue, um, and you know, regulatory compliance can be super challenging. Um, you know, can you just kind of speak to that? Like, it, it feels like we're in an industry yeah. where we have to have some kind of regulations, you know, for safety and stuff. But at the same token, man, it can be a, a big challenge, right? So balancing yeah. that. Yeah. I, I, I think I think regulation is a challenging thing because you have people that are learning about something trying to regulate. Yeah. And that to me is the biggest problem with regulation. Not to say that these politicians are evil or they're out to get us. They just don't understand. And yeah. Trying to keep people safe in a state of ignorance. Mm -hmm. um, that to me is the biggest problem when it comes to uh, regulation and compliance. Other areas, and this is a perfect example of this, are potency caps. Yeah. Um, people are, you know, some politicians, it's become a new vehicle for uh, fear and outrage are saying that potency caps are something that need to happen when it's actually harmful to people. You have a lot of vets out there that need yeah. high potency product to use. Also, with devices like Buffalo devices, you can get something that is high potency and control the effects that it has on you. Yeah. Also, the human endocannabinoid system can only absorb so many cannabinoids at any given time. So putting a potency cap on something is something you don't need to do because the body naturally does it. Yeah. You can only get so high. There's nobody gone to the point where, you know, it's turning toxic for that. It's yeah. just going to get them a little bit sleepy, maybe a little bit paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> but it won't hurt them. Right. Um, 
And the problem with this is people hear the word strength, and when yeah. you relate strength to a lot of other substances, you're talking about toxicity. Sorry, I had a telemarketer. Um, when you relate strength to other substances, you are talking about toxicity. If you're talking about alcohol, too much alcohol can kill you. Yeah. If you're talking about Tylenol, too much Tylenol can kill you. And so we don't really have this understanding of cannabis as something that there's almost no way to get too much of. It's yeah. not the same as everything else. And unless you have the approach of curiosity, yeah. I'm here to understand why are people using this? What does it mean to them? Um, you're not going to create good regulation. You yeah. have to approach it with curiosity. And unfortunately, that is typically not the path of regulators. And some of them it is. There yeah. are people out there that are so curious. I think Colorado has been a state that has done a great job trying to understand the yeah. needs of growers, of entrepreneurs, of consumers, and providing a state-regulated market that also has great tax benefits to the state. Yeah. Um, I think there are markets that do well, but if they're here to regulate and not understand, that is going to harm the space as a whole. Oh, 100%. And and you see that happen all the time. You know, they just, they're just, it's like that saying, be curious, not judgmental. You know, if they approached totally. it like that, then, you know, uh, there's so much they could learn and, you know, we'd be able to probably... Uh, operate better. But I often wonder why, like, you know, Colorado seems like they did a pretty good job uh, rolling it out and regulating and, you know, like that balance between taxes and stuff like that. Sure. I wonder why more states don't. It seems like every state when they come online, they 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 invent the wheel. They're like, oh, OK, how are we going to do this? And it seems like there's states out there that have already done it, you know, that they could sort of like look at and say, OK, let's be like these guys. Let's not be like these guys. You know, let's do this. But every state does it their own way. And sometimes they're just clunky as hell. Yeah, I mean, I think it 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 comes down to there are not a lot there are not a lot of people with a healthy understanding of cannabis yeah the industry of cannabis and the community of cannabis yeah so the fact that we need it and it seems like in colorado they took the approach of curiosity and i don't want to take away that colorado is not a perfect market there no. are businesses really struggling there but yeah it seems like they're heading towards a little bit of a collapse of pricing and it's a really unprofitable market for manufacturers, but that's really benefiting the community mm. they are getting really affordable prices for their cannabis. It seems like other markets start looking at other industries to mimic. Yeah. And it seems like there's very few regulators outside of Colorado that are seeing this as this is a new industry and we have to understand it to be able to make sure that this benefits our constituents. That to me is the biggest problem. Colorado was doing that. California, it's, if anything, disincentivized people getting into the recreational space. Uh, what I hear is that the California traditional market, non-recreational market, is equally as big as the recreational market. I actually believe it's bigger. Uh, yeah. And why is that? Because you can't be profitable in the recreational space. They've made it really, really hard. So they have all these talented people. And when you think about how successful California has been, yeah. when I go to Spain and other countries, they identify stuff from California as the most elite thing in the world. Wow. And California has the, I believe, most talented creators, whether yeah. it's growers or hash makers or geneticists in the country. Mm -hmm. And they disincentivize them from participating in the space. When I feel like California should have said, 
we're going to be the best market for this. We're going to eat some of our tax benefits to create a healthy industry. And we're going to try to push the export because California is the most important name in cannabis in recent years. And I don't even feel like they're having that conversation. They're not even having the conversation of how do we bring more people into this and give them a profitable future to help invest in us creating this industry. So they need more people that are curious. They need more people that are looking future forward and trying to create an industry. And it feels like today it's reactive. Yeah. They're just trying to get to a place where things exist and everybody's happy and it's fine. They're not trying to create a profitable and healthy future for us all. It almost that changes. It almost yeah, yeah. It almost feels like an adversarial relationship. Right. Like, you know, like they're going into it with an adversary relationship between the industry and the lawmakers. And to me, that's just silly. Like, you know, if we're here and we're here to stay and we're not going anywhere, let's figure out how we can work together and, you know, uh, uh, benefit the people and, you know, still get the tax benefits, and everything like that. But it just seems like in some places they, they are so it's like they're just going in like, OK, fine, we're going to have to allow this because the voters did. But oh, we're going to be so mean and hard on you and everything like that it's just such an ass backwards way uh to uh to to you know be to an industry that is pretty darn positive with revenues and jobs and wellness for people and everything yeah cannabis is the cannabis is the american dream yeah like there is so many of us that were at poverty level that used cannabis legally or illegally to give ourselves some income to survive There are a lot of Americans that have survival stories by engaging with this plant. And my message to your readers is we often uh, dislike our government. Yeah. And we have a lot of frustrations with what they do. There are people reading this right now that have a far better understanding of the cannabis space, the industry and the community than most of the regulators. You have to try to get those positions. Yeah. You have to try to contribute. I don't think any of us want to be politicians. And the people that don't want to be the most are the people probably most qualified to be. It. Yeah. And if you're reading this and regulation fucking sucks and you're like, they're going to destroy this as a whole. If you don't step up, who will? Yeah. It's going to be somebody that doesn't care. They care about the money they can get being a politician and not the community they serve or the industry they're trying to create. And if we don't step up, they're going to rob us of this American dream. They're yeah. going to make cannabis an industry for the mega rich corporations while everybody else is criminalized into jail. Yeah. So if you're reading this and you are frustrated with regulation, you have to become active or you lose the right to complain. Um, that's my take on it. Oh, I love it. That's a, that's a great take. Um, okay, Roger, last question. This is the bonus yeah. one. After 10 years in business... What is one of the things you're most proud of? Hmm. You know, I'm proud of the community we created. Yeah. I started thinking about a few different things. Sure. Like the products we created, like the Pupco Proxy. Mm-hmm. I am, it's my favorite product. I'm a massive fan of it. It's at the cross center of art and consumption yeah. and technology. And I'm so proud of that. And I'm also very proud of Pupcom. Mm-hmm. Um, us throwing an event in the middle of downtown LA with open skies where it feels like we're all accepted. We're not in the shadows. We're not in the warehouse. We're not in San Bernardino. But when I think about all of the things, like what's at the cross section of PupCon, of the Pupco Proxy, of the Peak, it's our community. When we started this journey, we felt like outsiders. Yeah. And these days we feel like we're at home. 
at home within the greater community, at home within our niche, concentrate contemporary hash community. The people that we're seeing are not your usual uh, stoners, as I like to call it. We're seeing a diversity of all walks of people, college graduates, non-college graduates, people that look really cool and fashionable, the people that are shopping at, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, yeah. they're clothing in <laughs> purely functional clothing. Um, we're seeing all walks of life connect through the same thing that we all love, and that's contemporary hash. And if there's any honor um, or, or privilege that I feel I have, it's sharing and contributing to a large community of like-minded individuals coming from all walks of life that's my absolute favorite thing. Um, there's nothing better that I could think of than that. Um, and that also does include this Puffco community of employees that I feel really pushes the limits of what's possible in technological and human development. Um, community is, is at the core of what we love, what we grow, and what we're here for. That is awesome, man. Can't can't beat that. Your your tribe is your vibe, and uh, you definitely oh, yeah. have have a really cool tribe. And we're all tribal, you know. I mean, we have been since totally. beginning of time. So I think that's really cool, man. That community uh, that is definitely something special that helps us, you know, in these in these crazy times. Oh yeah, and yeah. If anybody out there is reading this, this is coming out before PubCon. Uh, please come through. It's invite only for existing users so you either need to have a device or you need to know somebody with a device and they can get a plus one ticket but i urge you to come and see what i think is the coolest most engaged community in the entire cannabis space um come smoke some hashables oh, i love it that's so cool all right well thank you so much roger um really appreciate your time i always feel like i get inspired and a little bit smarter when i talk to you so uh, uh really appreciate it awesome Hey, hello, I'm Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong. Wait, you didn't think people would know who I am? Durachill. Uh, this is Durachill. This is Durachill. This is Durachill. No, hey, I don't talk like that. You want me to sell this? Buy it. Try Durachill or else. If you want something really nice in your laboratory, buy Durachill. You can't go wrong. This show was produced by Cannabis Tech Today and Pretty Easy Podcasts. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com now if you're looking to get professional production help on your own podcast at an affordable rate. Pretty Easy Podcasts, making podcasting pretty easy.